This is Creek with At The Table Podcast. Here at At The Table Podcast, our goal is to break down biblical topics, make scripture easy to understand, and to glorify God and His Word. We pray this content edifies, challenges, and blesses you. So without further ado, sit back and join us at the table. Good morning, Los Angeles. Yeah, step on me. Mm-hmm. Welcome to another... <laughs> Why do you always get to start it? Yeah, that's true. I'm in the middle. Who died and made Whoa, you? He... Whoa. Yeah. Dang. Let's flip a coin. No. Harvey Welcome to another episode it. of At The Table Podcast. <laughs> um, it, it is a beautiful morning here, and um, I'm here with my two co-hosts as always, um, John Creek. How's it going, guys? What's happening? A little offended you forgot the lovely co-hosts are awesome. Ooh, I'm not actually offended. Don't call me lovely. Well, I was planning on saying something good, and then John stepped on me two seconds into the... Step on you? I mean, you you opened that up like a radio show host and didn't even put a city. If you're going to use that kind of voice, you got to shout something out. This is starting to feel like an episode of Duck Dynasty. We've been talking about that a lot. He's Jace making the... He's making... The points that aren't really points. Dude, I got a talking point right now. This is crazy, bro. Hit me with it. So, <clears throat> so me and my wife are watching it. So, let me explain it real quick. So, Amazon Prime has season six, and, like, that's it. So, we watched it on Amazon Prime at first, season six. It's not really a show you got to keep track of in order. So, we just watched that. But then we went to that other streaming service and started on season one. Tubi? Yes. My man. I noticed, I noticed in season one... That there's like bleeps of cuss words, like like when they're talking, go beep, like real quick, like implying that they were cussing, right? Like saying they were cussing. Well, I'm like, that is so suspicious. Like, why would they stop cussing in season six? Like, something's weird. Then it happened again, and I told my wife, I'm like, I think that was edited. I don't think they cussed. She goes, no, no, no way, no way. I'm like, yep, I looked it up, bro. They edited cuss words in season one, like You'd have a scene where something happened, uh-huh. and then you'd hear a beep, but you wouldn't see their mouth say anything. And it was, and then I looked it up, and apparently, well, uh, you Phil just added number fifteen reason for the day of why I'm losing faith in humanity. But it said that Phil Robertson like told the network like, "Why are you doing that? Like, don't do that." Isn't that's, that that's wicked, bro? Hey, I've got some faith in humanity now, my man Phil. It's wicked, yeah. Bro. Yeah. I was a little upset. Uh, yeah, like, I'm with you. Tripping. It's just disheartening. It's like, why? Why do you? Yeah, why do you, why do you have to crap on everything good in life? I know. So if, if you, you see season one, just know they didn't cuss. Hmm. That's interesting. So what he's saying is Duck Dynasty is still one of the superior forms of Christian entertainment out there. Yeah. John looks like a member of Duck Dynasty. I did until about two months ago, and well, Creek doesn't. But is that what's up with the headband? Yeah, pretty much. Have you seen yeah. though the oldest brother Alan? Yeah, you can. Yeah, be the beard. Yeah, I, <laughs> I was waiting for that joke. <laughs> like legit, I knew somebody'd bring it up. Yeah, I mean, well, when I shaved this weekend, there was a lot of hair in the sink. Man, let's go. Mm. So I'm mm. just saying, He's I good, think man. I'm a late bloomer. You were a late bloomer too, in that way. Yeah, though. dude, I didn't have a beard till I was 25. Yeah, so. 
And little, I had a little There's frizzy hope. on my chin. I didn't really. I looked like Shaggy until I was twenty five. No, well, I, had, I had somewhat of a beer before. All I'm my grandparents have beers. Ruby, so. Ruby, Ruby. <laughs> okay. It literally has nothing. I told you I looked like Shaggy until I was twenty five. Shaggy has like a really full goatee. No, he doesn't. Uh, I would say uh, a really full. Look at the cartoon. He's got three lines on his chin. <clears throat> that is, yeah, he's he's right. There is like three lines on his chin. We're full of it. Anyway, getting into this in today's episode, John, what's at the table today? Well, what is at the table is another episode of our Snake Crusher <laughs> series, y'all. We're so glad you're tuning in. Um, we've been going through at this point, um, still in, taking like a, a literary or narrative um, approach to to reading scripture in search of the Snake Crusher or the Messiah. Um, that that will come and bring restoration, not just to Israel, but also to humanity in general. Well, so. we know he's a wonderful counselor. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Everlasting Father. So it's kind of where we're at. Yeah, yeah. And we're going through the Kings and Chronicles still um, right now with Isaiah. So we're going to jump into some more Isaiah. This will be Isaiah Part 2, um, and we'll actually finish... Isaiah today after we also finish overlooking uh, Hezekiah's life. So without further ado, let's jump into the stuff. Um, if you're in Chronicles, reading along the, the Chronicler's uh, accounts of this next story, where we left off would have been Second Chronicles chapter 32. And the where we left off was kind of this scene of, you know, just for a short recap, Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, who at this point is the dominant empire in Mesopotamia in the ancient Near East. He's the baddest guy on the block. The Assyrians are ruling everybody, and not necessarily everybody has been displaced. The southern kingdom of Judah hasn't been displaced, and neither has Babylon, but they're both underneath Assyrian rule, paying tribute to the Assyrian king. <clears throat> well, in our last episode that we talked about Hezekiah, um, Sennacherib came to invade Judah, and long story short, Hezekiah did the smart thing and consulted the yeah. prophet and consulted the Lord and asked the Lord for help. And so the Lord intervened. Um, 185,000 men of Sennacherib's routed. Yeah, wiped out, and he went back to Assyria, and his own sons killed him. In so, front of his God. Yeah. That, that's the crazy thing for that whole story, though, is, I mean, he is painted to be the serpent. Yeah, and, the, yes. and 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 Hezekiah is painted to be the seed of the woman, where it's like you're doing right, you're 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 taking the wise counsel, you're seeking God's, you know, you're consulting God's advice, and you're and you're doing all these things right. Whereas Sennacherib is is painted just to be this serpenty hissing, you know, and it's just even his name <laughs> Sennacherib. Well, there's two. <laughs> you're not gonna laugh. At you that. sound like Come Jungle on, Book. Bro. Yeah, <laughs> it was on purpose. <laughs> I'm not gonna get one chuckle. Sure. Yeah. No, that's a good point, and and it's it's a contrast again of something that we've seen throughout the text, and that's heavenly wisdom versus earthly wisdom. There are things that seem right or good or wise in a man's own eyes that he does sometimes that are very 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 foolish. We shouldn't do it at all. Um, so ironically, in the story that begins with Sennacherib sending a messenger to Judah to intimidate them and tell them, hey, this king of yours like took down all of these other gods except this one. 
And of all of these nations, essentially, you know, the John International Version <laughs> had this huge plethora of gods, and none of them were able to save you from save them from me. Then now that you've ticked off every other god in your land but one, what's he going to do for you? Right. So, you know, it starts out with a messenger to intimidate them, and the story ends with God sending his own divine messenger to uh, send a little message himself. Yeah, <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah a mafia-type message. Yeah, we yeah. got to send them a message. This uh, this angel's got a heavy ride. Take uh, Sennacherib down to the docks and whack him. <laughs> <laughs> Why? Take Sennacherib down to his gods and whack him. Take Sennacherib and his gods down to Assyria and whack him. Eat him. Either the Tui is going to put the whack on that pooch, yeah, <laughs> the Tui right. is just going to get whacked. Straight up. Mob hit. His sons kill him. It's oh. it's C-spot it's, it's run. Too good, good of a story. Yeah. 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 And so that, then the episode ended with um, word had reached us, reading the text, that a messenger from Babylon has showed up now. Not good. Historically, Babylon being connected to Assyria originally with their creator, both you know being this Nephilim guy, Nimrod, not good. Being a very bad dude. Bad guy. Um, <clears throat> a lowercase a, maybe capital A, slash Antichrist figure, a very serpenty figure, but also the fact that it's connected to um, the Tower of Babel, right? Yeah. It's, yeah. it's connected to like the, the, the summit of nations united in rebellion against God. And so Babel, Babylon, yeah, it should be an easy thing for Hezekiah to look and be like, yeah, I don't know. Kind of like what Jed Burton was talking, very anti-Messiah. Yeah, you should be, they should be very starkly juxtaposed. Yeah, exactly. They come to represent what it means to be like anti-Eden. Yep. And every other nation that comes after them will will be known as sort of living in their shadow, opposing the plan of God of restoration, Messiah. That's, that's a better way to put it. Yeah. Like yep. Yeah. And so that that's a really good a really good way to summarize Babylon. And if you know, the audio quality is not as good as it is these days. Uh, praise God, we've done some upgrades. But episode one in the beginning of this Snake Crusher episode covers Babylon in a little bit more detail. If you want a lot more detail, go to Dr. Heiser's website, read The Unseen Realm. Um, he goes over this stuff in a lot of detail. It's it's amazing. Amen. May his memory be blessed. But Okay, so picking up in Isaiah 39, <clears throat> we're uh, going to approach this in a literary fashion. At that time, Merodach Baladan, the son of Baladan, king of Babylon, sent envoys with letters and a present to Hezekiah, for he heard that he had been sick and had recovered, which already is, like, kind of odd. But Well, we just talked about Hezekiah knows that Babylon's bad. Yeah. Right, every Jew knows Babylon is bad. Yeah, so. yeah, right. <laughs> Yeah, if the wilderness is like a domain of chaos and Babylon's like on the other side right. or eastward, right. there's no way it's that Cain in City, ancient... Like, exactly. It's like you just fought off the wolves, and the second you get done, a <laughs> dragon comes sniffing around. It's like... For real, what, bro. <laughs> yeah. What are you here looking for, buddy? And then the dragon... Well, I, just, like, yeah. I heard you were sick and Trust just wanted to check on you, buddy. <laughs> you <know? laughs> well, you bring up a really good point because that, you know, unless you understand like the historical context behind this, the average person is probably thinking like, why is this a bad thing? Like, yeah. 
why is the son of the king right. of Babylon sending letters and a present to Hezekiah for recovering from a sickness a bad thing? Ironically, it's not just after he recovers from a sickness, but happens to f- to defeat a pretty powerful enemy of Babylon's. And according to, um, and a lot of today's material is going to be taken from here, but um, Robert B. Chisholm Jr.'s The Handbook of the Prophets, he points out that historically at this point in time, Baladan, the king of Babylon, is organizing a revolt against Assyrian yes. rule. Yeah. So what really seems to be going on in the text is he hears that there's a, a nation across the river that's defeated his same enemy. And so he's like, well, why don't I just send some gifts and see what kind of ally they can make? Right. He's almost trying to enlist right. Israel or Judah. Trying to buddy up. Yeah. And from Hezekiah's perspective, again, there's a choice here, earthly wisdom or heavenly. Mm. So verse number two says, and Hezekiah welcomed them gladly. Okay, that's not good. Mm. And he showed them his treasure house, the silver, the gold, the spices, the precious oil, his whole armory, all that was found in his storehouses. There is nothing in his house or in all his realm that Hezekiah did not show them. I love, like, right prior to this, too, where it says that Isaiah kind of is just steps back for a minute. Yeah. Because God is going to test Hezekiah in this. Yeah. This is this is a this is a testing moment. This is the seed of the woman. What are you gonna do? There's a serpent in the garden. What are you gonna do? Yeah. Are you gonna listen to him? Are you gonna give ear to him? Yeah. That's a fire point. There's a serpent in the garden. Yeah. Literally. I mean, and and that brings up an, an amazing point. Many times you cannot control whether or not a serpent comes into the garden. But your response to that serpent once it's in there is a hundred percent your responsibility. What what's the snake crusher supposed to do, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, in the name, in, in the title, it, it's pretty obvious. Like, welcome it, into his treasure house. It's not sit down and have lunch. <laughs> We're not having a tea party, Jack. Welcome in. Stop that sucker's head in. <laughs> <laughs> for real, right? No, for real. So that he shows him everything that's in his realm, and that just kind of gives way. A little bit to the context that we just talked about. Like, if you're looking to make a military ally, what do you do? You show them how much money you have. You show them your armory. You show them the abundance that you have, the riches that you have. Why? Because that that's a symbol of your strength, of your establishment, right? If you just beat Sennacherib, the king of Babylon, and this is the, the hard part for, for us in the text, is we know, like, Hezekiah didn't defeat Sennacherib because he has an amazing army. There you go. He didn't beat him because he's an incredible military commander. He literally did one thing. He prayed. Right. And he asked the prophet to pray. They sought God, and God intervened. And what an amazing chance to be a light to the rest of the nations and say, hey, you want to know how that snake got crushed? It wasn't by might or by power. My spirit Gosh. says the Lord. It that's was fire, dude. It was by the word that's of good. the Lord, right? Yeah, that's good. But that's not what happens, unfortunately. No, pride, right? Yeah. It, in the in the and it's we often talk about like image bearing, right? And in this place where you're you're kind of this image of of, of God, right? And you're supposed to point glory back to Him. The second that God gives you victory, 
pride steps in. And we know that Hezekiah has already had a problem with this before. Yeah. He's already he's already bowed the knee, you know, to pride. And so here you, you see it slip in again and he does the Adam thing. Mm. Right? And he and he gives room to this serpent and lets it spy out his old camp. And it's almost like, and I love that Chisholm's work on this because he points out, you know, like the ally, right? You know, that the, the, they could the potential potentiality for an ally, and basically saying like, in the way you said it, you're showing your armory because you're 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 basically taking credit for for whooping Sennacherib. Yeah. And you're showing them like, look what look what I got, and and Babylon's looking at it like, yeah, I don't I don't think it's enough. <laughs> you know, <laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So then I, Isaiah comes to King Hezekiah and it says, "Hey, uh, what did these guys say? And where did they come from to you?" <laughs> and Hezekiah says, "Oh, they came from a far country, from Babylon. <laughs> <laughs> They're my friends." <laughs> you know, honestly, what this kind of reminds me of. This reminds me of um, when you're hanging Gib- out with a kid you're not supposed to, and your mom's like, "Who's that?" Gibeon after after oh. AI. Okay, well, that- whenever they 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 realize mm-hmm. like how the conquest is going, and they're like, "Yeah, we got to come up with a plan." <laughs> yeah, because this isn't good. <laughs> this isn't gonna work. Who and, are you? Oh, we're we're uh, we're from a really far country. Yeah, away, we're not. Yeah. We're, yeah, nowhere close to you. Yeah. <laughs> So Hezekiah's like, oh, they, you know, they're they're from they're from a faraway country, you know, from ba- from Babylon, from what? Uh, from Babylon. <laughs> you can just. <laughs> I mean, I'm reading that into the text, but you can just kind of. Do you think Isaiah is a grumpy old guy at this point? Well, I just get the feeling that as Hezekiah begins to speak, that he understands where the problem is after it comes out of his mouth. Dude, I just see you know? a furrowed brow on Isaiah, like. <laughs> Look at old man like what? Come on, <laughs> right? So like, from from, from Babylon, Isaiah is thinking like, bro, we need to eat you. Yeah, we need to eat you. Up. <laughs> so you didn't you didn't show him all the stuff, did you? Yeah, I did. Yeah, I showed him everything. Um, no, in fact, nothing in the, the realm that's worth value wasn't shown to him. <laughs> <laughs> What? Why? Oh, Why would you do that, son? It's oh. well, you go from like these places where you see such wisdom in Hezekiah, where like, oh man, Sennacherib's at the door, trouble, right? Oh, what's he gonna do? Well, he's gonna do right. He's gonna call on God. He's gonna he's gonna reach out to God, and God's gonna miraculously save him. You're like, okay, that's kingly wisdom. That's the that's what a king needs to have. A king should have the wisdom to go to God. And then when Babylon comes knocking on the door, you didn't show him everything, did you? Oh, I, I, there was nothing that wasn't shown. Man. The, the Lord's house, all the gold in there. Yeah, I showed him all that too. I think this is why God doesn't give us whatever we want because right. when there is big victory like that, we tend to be very mm. pride. How do, you, how do you take the envoy from Babylon into the into the house of God and show him <laughs> his his gold and stuff too? And, and to be fair, I, I, know, I don't know that, that he was shown inside of the temple. I mean, there's obviously one place that would be a problem for him to be able to go into and come out alive. The but, Holy of Holies, for sure. Right. right. Yeah. yeah. But it does say that there was nothing in the kingdom that wasn't shown. <laughs> That's pretty all-encompassing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 
Either way, he's been shown way more than the snake ever should see. <laughs> he should have gouged out both of his eyes and sent him packing back to Babylon. Should have crushed yeah. his head. Yeah, he's uh, stomped on him. I, I see this as adultery. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Israel is married to God, and then you've got this foreign, you know, hussy. Or come knocking on the door, and, and instead of turning her away at the door, <clears throat> you invite her into the house. Or, you know, like we said before, and I'm sorry to belabor the point, but what an opportunity to take him to the temple and then teach him about Yahweh. You know, what What an opportunity to say, this is, this is how the good things have happened. You see the plenty in my land. You see how everybody has enough food enough to, and to spare. You see how snakes get crushed. This guy in Babylon and all the other ancient Near Eastern people, their pantheons are essentially the same. Yeah, sure. Dif- different names, no. but same associations. All of them got a storm god. All of them have a, a chaos god. All of them have a high god, a supreme god. All of them have these things. What an opportunity to show the truth. But you Do you think, are. though, that that is what God would want in this situation? Yeah, I think that'd be pretty good. I think I don't know that I the invitation's know. been sent for them to come back yet. I would say that right now the expectation for Hezekiah from God would say, Get out. You don't come up in here. We're not, we don't mix with you. We don't interbreed with you. And you're not welcome here. Well, we're definitely not going to do any of the interbreeding. That wasn't what I had in mind for sure. <laughs> well, <laughs> <laughs> just talking about preaching. All you guys people want to talk about <laughs> sex. <laughs> sex, sex, sex. <laughs> oh, Phil Robertson. Oh, He's the man, dude. Anyway. Yeah, so he's like, uh, "What did these men come from, and what did they say?" He's like, "Oh, they came from a far country, from Babylon." Oh, uh, what have they seen in your house? They have seen everything that's in my house. There's not anything in my storehouses I didn't show them. Like, dun, dun. <laughs> not good. Yeah. <laughs> so Isaiah says to Hezekiah, "Hear the word of the Lord of Hosts." Now God is reintroduced. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house. All which your fathers have stored up till this day will be carried to Babylon. Nothing will be left, says the Lord. And some of your own sons who will come from you, whom you will father, will be taken away. And they will be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. Then Hezekiah said to Isaiah, The word of the Lord that you have spoken is good. Uh, what? Yeah. For <laughs> for he, whom? <laughs> for he thought there will be peace and security <laughs> in my days. Gosh, dog, my man, that's kind of wicked. Bro. Not good, yeah. No, that's it's more than just kind of <laughs> wicked. It's <laughs> like he said they're gonna cut off your sons. Yeah, pride right. and your your generations after you. you, you and, and that's good, right? Your 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 you're family the, line will be cut off. You're the line. You're What's the, his line? You're yeah. the line. It's not good. It's not okay. Like you would think that that this would bring some repentance. I maybe I'm just a simpler guy, but I'm telling you that I would say, run them down in the in the road. <laughs> right. Run the invoice down. Get the chariots as fast. The best riders you got, and run them down before they get down the road. And matter of fact, just to, for for icing on top, I'm going to march them to Babylon, and I'm going to hang them on their wall. Yeah. You're gonna eat them off the wall, yeah, <laughs> dude. Yes, and and fall on, but in all seriousness, fall on your face before the Lord in sackcloth and kill ashes. Kill him, kill him. Just humble yourself and say, God, I repent. 
the the god that struck down Sennacherib isn't able to take care of an envoy? Yeah. yeah. Or 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 worse, you know, when when Babylon comes knocking, he's not able to to beat them too. But the king and the leadership doesn't repent for pride. In fact, he doubles down when God judges his line, not just him. It, 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 God judges his entire nation for this decision, and all of his children. This is the at. This is such an Adam thing. Yes. Like you're not the one that's really getting the consequence. It's everyone after you, and you're like, man, well, you know, right. He's it, just a, yeah. I mean, <clears throat> as long as I'm not getting cursed, I mean, why? No biggie. It's right. all good. I'm gonna live to be nine hundred. You know, yeah. <laughs> it's like, what a, what a, what a Adam thing to do. It just goes to show you, like, never mind the brother at back with back pain at thirty years old. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Adam. I think that it's almost like this, like a teeter totter between son of man and and son of God. You know, this expectation, and then like not son of man is in Daniel, yeah. son of man. But you know what I'm saying? It's like Adam versus you know, the new Adam in in a guy that's just kind of, and here he just falls very. Very hard yeah. to one direction, and just even though he's lived a good life, and we've read his life, and we're like, okay, this is a faithful dude. Here, it's like, no. Well, he would have had to have known, like you know, obviously, like your line is the one that is going to have this Messiah. You would think so. You know, it just shows carelessness. Like, ah, oh, who cares about reminds who cares about God's promise? Like. Yeah, it reminds me of something that John brought up from from Tim Mackey. It's it's the child stumbling around with the the diamond, and he's like dropping it in gutters. You know, it's like it's like the ugh, you know, take it yeah. easy with that beautiful promised thing. And Safeguard like, it. It's that's what good. You, yeah, that's good. <clears throat> let let God you know make my son's eunuchs. It's good. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it's definitely not good. <laughs> it is not we're, good. We're in a bad space. I, th- I think, like you said, I mean, he he mentions, you know, even the the average person. Like, if you have like a hint of what God wants to do in your life, you typically like tend to err on the side of excessively worrying about getting that accomplished. So you then take it into your own strength and try. We hope you're enjoying the show. If you are, give us a rating, review, and send this podcast over to a friend. If you want to contact us, email us at atthetablepodcastmail at gmail.com. You can also find us on YouTube, Facebook, and any other podcasting platform. Ask us about merch, recommend topics or interviews, or just tell us what you think of the episode. Thank you for listening. Now, let's get back into the show. <laughs> tell me your laugh don't sound like a hyped up turkey call, bro. <laughs> it sounded like SpongeBob. It sounded like the dolphin off SpongeBob. Yeah, yeah, the dolphin <laughs> laugh. Do the hamster dance. Good stuff. Somebody told us that John's laugh sounds like a hyped up turkey call. It wasn't John's laugh. It was your laugh. They they misappropriated it. Yeah, maybe. We're trying to deflect. Let's have a poll. To, Whose to, laugh sounds like a hyped up turkey call? To be honest, I've never even heard like someone blow a turkey call. So I don't know. 
but they don't really blow them. What do they do? There's a, piece, a diaphragm that goes in your mouth and you chirp one. Or you scratch it. Or there's a pad that you scratch it. Or a box that you can go. Man, I would feel like insulted on a fundamental level, depending on which one of those I was. Yeah, well. I'm just joking. There's not a good option. So. Yeah, it's all bad. It's probably me. Yeah. What can he do? <laughs> Back into the episode, we are going through the book of Isaiah. John, take her away. Yeah. So Isaiah gets divided into various sections in various fashions by scholars. Uh, we're going to follow the way it is formatted in Robert Chisholm Jr.'s book, The Handbook of the Prophets. So thus far, uh, we've covered in Isaiah um, chapters 1 through 12, and we've also you know, sort of made a pit stop into Hezekiah's life in chapters 36 through 39. If you're looking at the book of Isaiah, you'll see it consists of 66 chapters in total. So we kind of went like from beginning to middle. And it would follow, of course, that, you know, 40 through, you know, 66 would be the end. I, I do think it's interesting, though, um, especially when you consider, you know, works like, you know, Dr. Postel and, and, his, and his colleagues. If you're reading um, the Torah, they put forth the argument that the main character in the Torah is the Messiah. And if you're listening to, to that, you might be thinking, like, I mean, how? He's not explicitly mentioned but a handful of times out of five books how could he be the central theme in a similar way like it, let's say you were to read um, and this is the book that they use if i'm not mistaken for their for their analogy but if you're reading the chronicles of narnia the in the lion the witch in the wardrobe aslan is actually only mentioned a few times as well but if you were to be asked who's the most pivotal character in the story hands down it's aslan the story meets its resolution with Aslan, and the conflict comes about because of a lack of Aslan. Don't right? quote Who, the deep magic to me, witch. <laughs> you just call me a witch. <laughs> I was there when it was written. Exactly, yeah. So I do think it's interesting if you're to like take that sort of approach in mind and you're reading the book of Isaiah. It's 66 chapters long. It's the same amount of chapters as the Bible is in books, 66 books long. Sandwiched in the middle is a story about a king named Hezekiah, who's from David's line, who is saved from Assyria and also, you know, ends up falling. It's just kind of a, an interesting thing to note, uh, I don't know, for me. But going back to the material, so chapters 1 through 12 we covered, um, talked about judgment, exile, Messiah, and restoration. Um, we went through, you know, his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, the government would rest on his shoulders, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. <clears throat> and the rest of the book of Isaiah, honestly, is there's a lot of material that we're, we're not going to, to cover chapter by chapter because Isaiah, I don't want to say recapitulates, but almost repeats itself in that same sort of fashion, right? You'll have messages of repentance being called, right? Isaiah's calling the nation of Judah and Jerusalem to repentance and then uh, proclaiming the coming judgment and exile and also um, giving, giving voice to a Messiah figure that will come and a restoration that will come after Messiah comes or a restoration that Messiah will bring in part, right? 
and part of that expectation also, you know, comes with return from exile. So in chapters 1 through 12, you have that kind of format. Um, we, Like I said, we skipped to 36 through 39. If you're to read through 13 through 27, there there's a collection of judgments pronounced against the, the nations. And a lot of these nations are the nations that are going to be used to also judge God's people. And Isaiah is essentially saying, you know, God's not only going to start with his house. That's that's where it starts. God's going to start with his own people. But you're not getting off the hook, you know. The judgment's coming to you too. And Mm -hmm. so there's proclamations of judgment against evil and such as well. And you would expect that to be the case, just as a side note, if all the nations are going to be restored, all of them also you would expect would be judged. So then chapters 28 through 35 repeats the same kind of fashion, you know, this theme of death giving way to deliverance. There's warnings proclaimed to Samaria and to Jerusalem and um, also talks about God's exiled people returning to Jerusalem. Now, you know, again, the, before the southern kingdom and northern kingdom were ever in exile, we remember in Deuteronomy it was prophesied, you're not, I know you're yet sieve. I know your frame, God said. I know that you're not going to keep the covenant. I know you're going to break it, and you're going to be in exile, and it will come to pass that in those days I will make a new covenant with you. Yeah, I think that that's kind of pivotal um, for the story. Every time, and even like in the judgments of God, like what we just read was pronounced against Hezekiah, where it's like basically God's telling him, for all intents and purposes, I'm going to cut your line off. You know, your children are going to be eunuchs and serve in a, in a foreign land, and all your house is going to, you know, be owned by somebody else. Right after that, you have the, the, the switch up where God's like, yeah, you know, Israel, you may be but a lowly worm, but you're my servant, and I'm still going to save you, and I'm still going to rescue you. Yeah, Hezekiah, you jacked it up, but I have not recanted on my, my word. My plan is still sure. And I don't know, it, you just have that over and over through the whole book of Isaiah. And, and while you have this doom where it's like, ah, uh, it's, and it's been impending as we've gone through the Snake Crusher series, we've kind of just been, you know, circling the drain, it seems like. And then you'll have this one redeeming factor still in this. And, and we're going to read this to the, to the rest of the book of Isaiah where there's going to be a lot of messianic prophecy here where Jesus or God is saying to, to the people of Israel, like, even though... Even though judgment is coming, I've not washed my hands of you. I've not forgotten yeah. you. I'm going to. I'm. I've still chosen you, and I'm still going to use you. Mm. That's good. Yeah, and this Messiah is, you know, the ultimate realization of that. It's, yeah. it's like telling them, like, yeah, your situation's hopeless. Kind of like we, t- what we talked about. You're. You're in sin, you're rebels, you've all gone astray. You know, all like sheep have gone astray. There's none that's righteous, not even one. You you have this kind of language used about all of the nations. And then the message of, of restoration is like the backpack of Messiah, right? Messiah yeah. is going to come. He's going to enter into judgment and reproof. But then on the backside of that, he's going to bring healing to, to all of you, starting with this, you know, in, in the next book of the prophets that we cover, um, there'll be more mention of that Deuteronomic covenant that, that was prophesied that God will make where he'll deal with the issue, which is ultimately the rebellious hearts. So, 
you know, as Trey covered, you know, the message of restoration and renewal. Well, this next section and 40 through 45 is going to kind of rock out in the same fashion that all the rest of it has. It's, uh, yeah, it's going to, it's going to, yeah, it's going to cycle. In this, and I think that we should cover some of this. In, in this, you're going to have some, some things said about this Messiah figure that you don't really get anywhere else. Right. You know, you're going to, Isaiah becomes like almost, I, I almost picture, you know, like uh, on National Treasure, the bifocals uh-huh. that he gets and he gets all yeah, these different yeah. lenses. I, I see Isaiah as like the, those those bifocals, those glasses where it's like, oh, let's slow this lens down. Oh, now I can see it, you know, from a different angle. I can see a different part of what this, this mosaic is. And then he'll flip the switch again. And, and starting in 42, one thing that I want to read, it says in verse 1, Look at my servant, whom I strengthen. He is my chosen one, and he pleases me. I have put my spirit in him. He will bring justice to the nations, and he will not shout or raise his voice in public. He will not crush the weakest reed or put out a flickering candle. He will bring justice to all who have been wronged, and he will not falter or lose heart until justice prevails throughout all of the earth. Even distant lands beyond the sea will wait for his instruction. This is wow. bringing out a new part of this this mosaic. It's like because we've been expecting the divine warrior, we've seen the angel of Yahweh, and we and we've kind of mixed that role, and we've mixed the interceder in. But this, that this, it's it's saying that he's going to be a servant to God, but also he is going to be kind and gentle, but not foregoing justice. It says that he won't even break the weakest reed or put out the flickering candle. He won't even yell. Yeah, right? You're, so you're getting this picture of meekness and gentleness. And if and if you're Israel going into Babylon, or at least you know you're going into Babylon, into exile, this is something that it seems refreshing, right? Because like, you're, you're about to experience God's judgment. But knowing that, yeah, but God's got a Messiah who's got a gentle hand. And when you're the weak reed, or you're the candle that's flickering, he's not going to bruise you or put you out. Isaiah's taught us by far the most about Messiah. And I think, just to point out, it is probably one of the most informative um, I mean, prophet books. But I do want to say, like, for somebody who knows that Babylon is coming, to hear that, you know, more or less he's going to, he's going to bless those across the sea like, yeah. bless the Gentiles, it the ones who are that. unclean, That's the good. ones who want to kill you. It says that they're going to await his wisdom right, and his instruction. That's crazy. This Messiah that's supposed to be our Messiah, but it's almost like yeah. he's going to be a Messiah for everybody. Yeah, it, it, it sort of envelops this idea. I'm so glad you pointed that out, that, that you guys said that. Because throughout the book of Isaiah, and, and not just Isaiah, I would I would argue and you know, there's a, a great deal of work out there that would as well, but that what is in view is a corporate slash individual servant, Israel, right? There is going to be Israel as the nation, what they are meant to do, what they are supposed <clears throat> to be, a light to the Gentiles, right? God lays out the law, makes all these provisions in Torah. Hey, if a, a sojourner among you desires to participate in the feast of the Lord, let him be circumcised. He will be as Israel, right? There's this idea that you're supposed to 
to be a light to the nations to show them who the true God is. And that Israel thus far has been pretty disobedient in that. And these areas in which corporate Israel has failed, God has prophesied an individual servant. Yeah. That he says, That's this right. one will obey me. It's a distilling. Yes. From the corporate down to the singular. We've talked about that a lot, but that's a, that's a wonderful point. And, and it's also a juxtaposed position that we're getting a picture of. Because he's, we're, we're getting bounced back and forth in expectation of what this Messiah should be. I mean, later on in, in chapter 42, Isaiah, who just said that this guy's going to be meek, gentle, he won't break you know, the bruised reed, he's not going to put out the flickering flame, says in uh, verse, let's start with 12. Let the whole world glorify the Lord, and let it sing his praise. The Lord will march forth like a mighty warrior. He will come out like a warrior full of fury. He will shout his battle cry and crush all of his enemies. And he will say, I have long been silent and I have restrained myself, but now, like a woman in labor, I cry and groan and pant, and I will level the mountains and hills and blight, and blight out all their greenery. You have this, this juxtaposed position, and if you're an Israelite and you're wondering, like, what is the Messiah going to be? It seems like God purposely clouds this. It bounces back and forth. And we know that God is not a man that he should lie. And right. so it's somehow these both are true. Right after first, or right after chapter 42, you have this, you know, in 43 where it says, Hear now, O Israel, O Jacob, I'm the one who called you by name. Yeah. You're mine. I've ransomed you. I've chosen you and all these things. And then right after that, you have this same picture of well, the divine warrior who's coming to bring justice. That's good. And, and the contrast, you know, again is, you know, where is it at? It is in this co- in this covenant, in this trusting of me, in obedience to me. You failed. You've absolutely failed. And and verse 50, as it talks about, is, or chapter 50, as it talks about the servant contrasted with Israel, follows the same, the same theme. Verse 1 says, Thus says the Lord, Where is your mother's certificate of divorce with which I sent her away? To which of my creditors uh, is it to whom I have sold you? Behold, your iniquity, it is for your iniquities you were sold. For your transgressions your mother was sent away. Why, when I came, was there no man? Why, when I called, was there no one to answer? Is my hand shortened that it cannot redeem? Or have I no power to deliver? Behold, by my rebuke I dry up the sea. I make the rivers a desert. Their fish stink for lack of water and die of thirst. I clothe the heavens with blackness and make sackcloth their covering. The Lord has given me the tongue of those who are taught that I may know how to sustain with a word him who is weary. Morning by morning he wakens. He awakens my ear to hear as those that are taught. The Lord has opened my ear and I was not rebellious. I did not turn backward. I gave my back to those that strike, my cheeks to those that pull out the beard. I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting, but the Lord helps me. You get this contrast again. It's, you know, Israel, Israel's submission has not been to God. Their submission has been to sin. They've, as, as we talked about with the herald from Babylon, right? You, you bowed the knee to the wrong thing. You, you went after after sin and after disobedience and you submitted to your own selfish desire and this way you failed for this you were exiled and as it begins talking about this servant it starts out with 
Hey, God gives me a tongue of those who are taught that I may know how to sustain with a word him who is weary. He talks yeah. about his ability to encourage that morning by morning, God awakens his ears. He listens. The Lord has opened my ear. I was not rebellious. I did not turn backward. And you have this th- picture of him like you you mentioned with the gentleness, you know, of, of also submission, but the submission is to God in suffering. And a punishment he, even, right? Like the back to the striker, uh, and that's something that is new, brand new. What? So you're telling me that the Messiah has got to suffer? That he's going to willingly participate in that? That he's going to he's not going to turn his cheek from the one who's going to rip the beard out? Why? Why is that necessary? Man. Well, it says, <clears throat> "Of which of my creditors is it to whom I have sold you? Because behold, be for your iniquities you were sold." Like, you know. Sometimes, like, parents had to sell kids to pay a debt or whatever, but he's saying, like, it's for your sin that you've been sold, you know? And I, mm-hmm. like, it's not that God can't keep them, but God will not keep them because of their iniquity. It's gotten so bad that God can't, won't, I don't want to say can't, but God will not let them flourish. Yeah. You know, there has to be some punishment. There has to be some sort of, like, something to pay back that iniquity. mm a redemption, yeah, like, and that's it's funny as Isaiah fifty two as it talks about God's coming salvation again. This message of restoration following on the back of a proclamation against sin and a proclamation of judgment and talk of exile. I like how in verse three of Isaiah fifty two it says, "You were sold for nothing, and you will be redeemed without money." Mm. So God says that uh, he harkens back to that same thing. He's like, "What?" Well, you were sold, yeah, you, but I didn't get any money for you. I sold you for your transgressions, and I will redeem you. And on the back of this message of, of being redeemed, Isaiah 52 verse 10 gives more messianic content, more information of about God, how God himself will buy back his people. Verse 10 says, The Lord has bared his holy arm before the eyes of all of the nations. There's all the nations again, like you were pointing out, Greg. And all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. Depart, go out from there. Depart, touch no unclean thing. Go out from the midst of her. Purify yourselves, you who bear the vessels of the Lord. You shall not go out in haste, and you shall not go in flight. For the Lord will go before you, and the God of Israel will be your rear guard. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He, here we go talking about him again shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted as many as were astonished at you. His appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond the children of mankind. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Sprinkle. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which has not been told them they see, that which they have not heard they understand. Isaiah 53 for who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant, like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, 
he was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. On him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. This is different than David. This is different than any king we've seen. Like, you know, David was somebody that apparently everybody loved, everybody wanted to be around, but something's different about Mm. this king. I think that it's important to note that in 52, you, you talk about deliverance coming, right, for Israel. And how? Well, it says in in 52 that I'm going to reveal my name to you. And, and that kind of harkens back to, like, the Exodus almost. Like, well, you know, I'm going to put my name in them, and you're not going to. And, and we have that kind of linking back to that that messianic prophecy of, like, the one that that I've chosen, my, my servant, I'm going to put my, I'm going to reveal my name to you through him, but how am I going to do that? And what are you going to do to him when I do that? It goes straight from there into the suffering servant where it starts saying, well, this guy, he's not going to turn his back away from the, the one who's striking it. He's not going to turn his cheek from the one who pulls his mm, beard. He's going to sit there and he's going to be punished. We read in 53 where it says that he, for our transgressions, he's going to be stricken, right? Mm. It, I mean, he's going to be, he, it's, it's, the redemption that's not going to cost money doesn't mean it's not going to cost anything. Uh, the The punishment is still very much to fit the crime. Someone's got to pay that. Mm. And and the the idea being revealed to us in fifty two and fifty three is like that's uh, that's obedient servant who's wise and gentle and kind, but he's also a warrior that can make war and do all of these things. He is going to submit himself to punishment. Mm. And I love how. You know, the the prospect of redemption. Well, if I if I sold you, then who's going to redeem you? Yeah. Me, right? If if you are mine, if you're my possession, as God said of Israel, you are my special possession, my inheritance. You're mine, right? If I have sold you, I gotta buy you back. And like you said, you know, we we've got the idea, okay, Messiah's gonna suffer, but in, in verse, you know, in chapter 50, but why? Why do you, why are you giving your cheeks to those that will rip your beard out? Why are you giving your back to people that strike you? I know that you're gentle. And as Trey pointed out, that the purpose is for your transgression and iniquity. It gives you the idea that redemption is not accomplished. Atonement for sin will not be accomplished in the exile. That's the judgment for your sin. But in order for you to come back, and not just you, but who's present here? All of the nations. He's, right? And, and the, the idea is like if all of you are going to come back home, hearkening way, way back to the Exodus, for you to live, something has to die. Yeah, that's good. And, and it goes further in, in 53. In verse 6, it says, All of us are like sheep. We have strayed away, and we have left God's past to follow our own. So right here, you you're talking about like you know exile and and I hearkened back to Exodus earlier, and it's going to continue to do that, and even into the Levitical system because it says that we were all the sheep that have gone astray, yet the Lord laid on him the sins of all. Mm. This is very familiar language for anybody who's lived in this era because for atonement, 
there has to be a laying on of hands onto the sacrifice. Yeah. You lay your hands on that lamb, and 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 you impart your sins onto that lamb, and then that lamb is is killed, slaughtered, and then burnt, and then that offering rises up to Yahweh, and He receives that. Well, here we're reading we're like this this warrior Messiah, gentle, meek, kind King. He's also going to be that lamb, yeah. and and God is going to as the better priest, not the high priest. God is going to impart all of our sins. All of the people's sins onto him. And this includes material that we've covered before. You hearken back to the idea when you hear, okay, a lamb led to the slaughter, the exodus, okay, okay. Where else? Where else have we heard that? Well, there was a person who was promised a son. And, And this person, in connection with the seed that he was promised, was also promised that through that seed, all of the nations would be blessed. And he takes this son of promise up on top of Mount Moriah, and he takes this knife, how Tim Mackey points out is the Hebrew word means eater or eating, right? And as he goes to bring this knife down on his son, the angel of Yahweh, Yahweh calls out to him and says, don't touch the boy, you know. But what does Abraham tell his son as any good prophet prophesies? He says, the Lord will provide himself a ram? No, he said a lamb. A lamb. But what he sees is a ram caught in the thicket. Yeah. What Isaiah sees here is like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, like a sheep before its shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, as for his generation who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living. He's going to die stricken for the transgression of my people, and then made his grave with the wicked, with a rich man in his death, though he had done no violence, that there was no deceit in his mouth. Again, he's perfect in obedience. Verse 10 says, Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. God has put him to grief. But when his soul makes an offering for guilt, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. I think that it's... I mean, what a beautiful picture that we're being painted, but also a sad one because he's being struck down for the rebellion of, of us, of, of the people. But I think that it's important to point. It says that it's God's good plan to crush him. Mm. And here we are talking about the snake crusher. Yeah. How, how is it the plan that the snake crusher get crushed? How can that be possible? What is the purpose in that? He's not the snake, but the... the in this picture, we're being treated like he is going to be crushed like that snake so that we, who are the snakes, Man, don't have to be crushed. That's good. And it will ultimately crush the snake, right, yeah. as as prophesied, this new covenant that will be made that will do it. It will do what? It will deal with your sinful heart. It says even in verse 11, by his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. He's going to save a lot of people, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide with him a portion with the many. He will divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered by transgressions, by transgressors, yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession. He will share the spoil. Yeah. yeah. No it's other conquered. king, nobody shares the spoil. Nope. Hezekiah didn't share the spoil. I mean, let, let people see it. <laughs> <laughs> you try to divide this bull, all right? <laughs> Just with the wrong guy. But no king, no king yeah. that 
is a god king or whatever shares the spoil. To that point, I mean, it's saying that this 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 one that's being crushed and this one that in doing this, it my translation says that he will have his portion with the victorious soldier. It's Man. it's like in this he's conquering. He sh- but he's sharing yes. the spoil with the soldier. Mm. That is so unheard of. And it it's just and faith is woven into this even in the Exodus, right? And God makes the provision for everyone, Egyptian and Jew alike. Hey, if you you paint the blood of this lamb on your doorpost, if you fear the word of the Lord, I will save you from the destroyer, right? I'll, I'll save you. But if you don't do that, if you don't fear the word of the Lord, you won't be saved. And what we get here is the same imagery. He's going to be striped. This lamb is going to be led to the slaughter. He's going to be the Passover lamb that by not just the Jews, but all of the nations, if you place your faith in him, that just as Abraham believed, he had faith, and God accounted it to him as righteousness. So if you look on this servant, he says, he shall make many acquainted with righteousness. And it's on the back of this suffering servant that saves and exalts and that conquers even in his death. Isaiah 54 proclaims an eternal covenant of peace. Yeah, and and strictly after saying in the, in the previous chapter, that this, no one's going to care that he is struck down without descendants. Mm. It's, so it's saying that this this guy, he's not his line's going to be cut off. God is going to cut off his line, but yet in fifty four, you have this this song almost where it says, "Sing, O O childless woman." This is talking about Jerusalem, Israel. This yeah. is this is talking about the bride, right? The bride of God. Sing, O you childless woman, you have never given birth. Break into loud and joyful song, O Jerusalem. You have never been in labor. For the desolate woman now has more children than the woman who lives with her husband, says the Lord. Enlarge your house. Build an addition. Spare no expense and spread out your home. For you will soon be bursting at the seams, and your descendants will occupy all the nations and resettle the ruined cities. Fear Mm. not. You will no longer live in shame. Don't be afraid. There is no more disgrace for you. So that you have God saying, like, this descendant of mine, this this king, servant who's suffering, is going to be cut off without descendants. But in doing so, I am going to make him almost like Abraham. It's he's going to be the father of many nations. Or I'm going to make, you know I mean he's going to be he's going to be bursting with descendants. And if you're telling this to Israel, like, listen, you've never given birth, but get ready because your house is going to expand. Build an addition. Spare no expense. It, and this, and we've, we, you just pointed out earlier where it talks about that that Gentile inclusion, the inclusion of the nations. Uh, you're you're about to have children, and those children, the children of this descendant, they're not just going to live in Israel. It says that they're going to occupy all the nations and all the ruined cities. That's good, and included in this inclusion, because you know, on the back of this marriage covenant being promised. <clears throat> There's also like proclamations of of God exposing the sin of his people that are oppressing the poor and the orphan um, and, and, and the widow and the fatherless and 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 they're doing evil. That even those people have good news. Isaiah, Isaiah 61 says, For the Spirit of the Lord God is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. You're not gonna get ostracized and devoured by this king 
He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. Man, doesn't that include everybody? To proclaim liberty to the captives, to the slaves, the opening of the prison to those that are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all that mourn, to grant those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness. You get this idea that God's like, my servant not only will accomplish, you know, atonement for sin, restoration, renewal, like you guys are oppressing the poor. My servant won't do that. This message is for the poor. This message is for the brokenhearted. It is for the ostracized, the cut off, the eunuch that doesn't have any seed. He even says, don't let the foreigner that has attached himself to the Lord, just a few chapters earlier, don't let him say, God will surely separate me from his people. He said, no, I won't. Uh, no, I won't. I won't separate you. Man. You're mine. This is the year of the Lord's unmerited favor. It's like mm. clearly mercy. Like these, Nobody deserves an oil of gladness instead of mourning. Nobody deserves to be called oaks of righteousness. Yeah. That's Who good. is an oak of righteousness but but God? Yeah. Well, yeah. You know, that tree language again, but, you know, turning the page on on all of this, it's like we're, we're hearing good news, good news, good news, good news, in, in the spite of bad. But in turning the page on this, it doesn't end good. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, right. we're in the middle of this prophet saying, like, this is the, the year of the Lord's favor and all of this, like, we're still in Babylon. I'd like to point out that in 58 it says, And your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations. You shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. And, you know, this is almost implying that there's a lot more to come. There's a lot. You're going to have to rebuild. Yeah. There's something bad going to happen before before all of this. And it, it's funny that you mentioned that because, you know, you, you have atonement, right? And <clears throat> there's going to be, like, people that would maybe look at a, at Messiah and says, like, yes, I mean, you know, you've, you've sort of conquered. You've conquered sin in the way that you've overcame it. You weren't submitted to it, but you submitted to God. You were righteous. You atoned for many. You have made people righteous. You've accomplished redemption. Yes. But what do what do we do about the evil that is still present in our world? I mean, I know you're going to call all of the nations back. You're going to do all of that stuff. But as Trey said, like the, the back end of Messiah's coming, right? He said the year of the Lord's favor. Then what does he say? But the day of vengeance for our God. You have an introduction or a reintroduction of this theme of the day of the Lord where God comes and accomplishes judgment of evil and vanquishing of evil. As one reading this, you know, it would be really easy to be able to just see the day of the Lord's vengeance, and that's it. And that's all you see, and that's all that you care, care about. And it's almost offensive, like, what do you mean he's bruised for our transgressions? Like, yeah. like why Why do I need somebody to do that? Why do I need somebody to, to save me from sin? But 
the reason for that is, and yes, you're absolutely right, is because it's hard for them to distill this down. Like we're talking about that difference between the corporate servant, but it it gets it gets distilled down, and they're 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 seeing is this is like well, you know Israel we're we're the ones that are the servant that are we're going to be you know beaten and struck and all this stuff, but God's going to use us to redeem and all these things, and so in that all you see is like, well, there's going to be vengeance come on the nations, and you know and all of this, but but whenever whenever you get that distillation down to that to that corp, or from the corporate to the singular servant of god that's where you make the move from redeemer to we need to be redeemed to and it's amazing that you say that um we'll post the the show the episode number in the show notes but in in a uh, Michael Heiser's episode of the day of the Lord, where he covers this. And that's honestly, if you want some really good teaching on the day of the Lord, please go check that out. Um, but he, he points out that the context for Isaiah 66 as well is, you know, I, Isaiah sees a restoration. Isaiah sees a promised restoration, restoration. And what he also sees is God's people doubting it. What he sees is God's people, like you said, that are, you know, living on the back end of exile, saying like, yeah, I mean, the Lord's will be done in a faithless kind of way, right? And, and, and his response to that in Isaiah 66, I love, just want to start in verse 9. Shall I bring to the point of birth and not cause birth to bring forth? Like, am I going to bring this promise up and not accomplish it? He says, shall I... Who caused to bring forth shut the womb, says the Lord your God. Rejoice with Jerusalem. Be glad for her. All you who love her, rejoice in her joy. All you that mourn over that you may nurse and be satisfied from her consoling breast. Drink deeply and delight from her glorious abundance. For I will extend peace to her like a river, the glory of nations. And he reiterates this promise. And the book of Isaiah <clears throat> ends as it talks about you know, all of Isaiah's oracles end, not just in this consolation of, of Messiah, of this child that will be brought forth, but as, as Trey, you know, pointed out again, you know, the end of the book, and I just think it's cool because of the format that we pointed out earlier, and we don't necessarily subscribe to that here, but it is neat. You know, verse 15 says, for behold, the Lord will come in fire and his chariots like the whirlwind to render his anger and fury in his rebuke with the flames of fire. For by fire will the Lord enter into judgment by his sword with all flesh. Those that are slain by the Lord shall be many. And he points out all of these like, <clears throat> you know, basically, <clears throat> excuse me, the people that are in sin that God will, will judge and that that is the reason for his judgment, just as the world was once destroyed and purified by water, after this Messiah comes to to save a remnant, to make many righteous, God's going to purify the world a second time by fire. He's going to come and judge evil. And you may be thinking, like, well, that's kind of dark. But isn't that the hope for the righteous? Right. You know, is, isn't the hope that <clears throat> after he restores you, after he makes you acquainted with righteousness, that he also does away with all wickedness. Ultimately, in the day of the Lord, like, you're going to pick what side you're on. Right. If it seems dark, 
maybe ask yourself what side you're on. Mm. Is it really dark that, you know, obviously now we're on this side of history, but guys like Stalin or Hitler, is it really dark that they're held accountable? Right. Just a thought. Yeah, that's a good point. And so we get the, the end of Isaiah telling us as such, you know, all those that leap over the threshold and do violence in their master's house, all of those people that supposedly consecrate themselves and then go eat, you know, abominable flesh, and <clears throat> those that pretend to be righteous and really aren't, like everybody, every class of evil, big and small, God says, I'm going to come judge it. I'm going to come destroy all of it. And that's that's the end of his oracle. So I, what we're really left with is a ton of messianic expectation. Yeah. A ton. This has been by far the most informative <laughs> scroll we've read. Yeah, Isaiah's had a lot to say uh, and, and about restoration in general, but specifically about the way that Messiah will accomplish that. We get this idea that he's going to suffer. He's yeah. going to suffer on behalf of God's people, and in spite of the fact that he's doing it for his people, his people are going to count him as stricken. They're not going to esteem him. They're not going to appreciate him. They're not really going to love him. Yeah, and it marks a really dark chapter in, in Israel's history, even though we're promised good is going to come from it because right, we're going into Babylon. I mean, the, the nation that was pulled out of a foreign nation and, and miraculously set up and given a land of milk and honey and all of these things, Yeah. now we're leaving. And it's not just the northern kingdom. Mm. It, it's in, in, in entirety. They're being pulled out of the land by force and subjected to slavery and mistreatment. And, and, and so for that promise that's coming, we are left wondering how, where. Because Hezekiah, his sons are going to be eunuchs. How do we get there? Yeah. How does God make this happen now? Well, and speaking of, you know, I know we're, out of time here, but just as far as a dark hour in Israel's history, I mean, this isn't in the Bible, but, you know, Jewish tradition would say that they sawed Isaiah in half after all of this, these points of hope and restoration and all this good news Mm. to the poor, they kind of, they yanked him. It's almost like a (laughs) sort of a, Stigma is being built by some of some of the people of Judah. I mean, we've had a king kill a priest, yeah. you know, over, over proclaiming righteousness and repentance and judgment for wrongdoing. So it's it does look dark, but it looks good. It's yeah. through all this that the hope of all of the nations will come. And so we, we eagerly await that. And also, uh, for those listening, we've been in the Kings and the Chronicles for a long time. The next episode will end the Kings and the Chronicles. Woo-hoo. Yeah, woohoo! So if you've if you've loved this journey, then we're we're sorry that it's over. If you're like, yeah, I love it, but I'm ready to hear about something else other than they did evil in the sight of the Lord and they did good in the sight of the Lord and they did evil in the sight of the Lord, then we've got good news. It's the hamster dance, right? Well, the, I mean, the bad news is some people are still going to do evil in the sight of the Lord, but <laughs> we're going to cover what some more prophets and kings have to say about Messianic profile. We're still waiting for this Josiah dude, so maybe we'll see him. I guess that's what's at the table. Yeah. So Godspeed.
God bless. Catch you later. This is Pastor Kevin O'Connor, and you're listening to At The Table Podcast. This is Dylan from Jamaica, and you're listening to At The Table Podcast. Hello, this is Dr. Kent Hovind of Dinosaur Adventureland, and with the At The Table Podcast. Hey, this is Savannah Donaldson, and you're listening to At The Table Podcast. Thank you for joining us for another episode of At The Table Podcast. We hope it blessed you, and we hope it taught you something. Until next time, thank you so much, and God bless.